You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, my name is Amin Lakani, and you are listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. I was born with a disability. We first noticed it when I was in elementary school, in kindergarten. All the other kids were learning how to tie their shoes, and I just couldn't remember the steps. In fact, when we went out to recess, another student would have to wait with me and help me get my shoes on, and then we would have to run out and catch up with everyone else. It got even worse when it came to reading. I struggled and struggled, but as the rest of my peers moved on, I couldn't. At that point, they diagnosed me with a learning disability, and the school provided two separate tutors that I would go see throughout the day. In fact, while I was in class and my peers were reading their beginner texts, I was coloring in a coloring book, trying to stay within the lines. Eventually, my mother sent me to an educational specialist who I saw every week from first grade to sixth grade. And I finally caught up to my peers. And eventually, in some ways, I even surpassed them. But I often wonder, what if my challenges were physical and not mental? What if they were permanent and not temporary? What if they were obvious to everyone the moment I came? through the door. And speaking of challenges, where do you go when you want to learn more about the financial independence community? Well, I go to phiology.com. That's F-I-O-L-O-G-Y.com. There, my friend David Boyer has created a number of resources for anyone who wants to become part of this community. First and foremost is the 52 Phiology Lessons. If you sign up for his mailing list, you can receive one every week for a full year. And then there's also the free Phiology Workbook. You can download it there on his site, phiology.com. There are a bunch of other resources, information about Camp Phi, a list of financial independence coaches and podcasts. Really, everything you want to know, this is a great place to send someone who is just learning about the financial independence community, but also somewhere where people like me, people who've been in this community for a long time, go back from time to time to learn what's happening and what's new. Check them out at phiology.com. That's F-I-O-L-O-G-Y.com and become part of our community.
Amin Lakani is the dating coach on wheels. He was born with hereditary motor and sensory neuropathy called Charcot-Marie Tooth Disorder and has been mostly wheelchair-bound since the age of 15. His struggles with relationships led him to first hire a dating coach and then to become one. He is also the creator and host of a number of virtual singles events for the financial independence community. Amin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Doc. Great to be here. It is great to have you. I had you on briefly before to talk about one of those five singles events. It was virtual. How did it go? It went great. It was fantastic. We had about 100 people show up and everyone loved it. They had a great time. Uh, everyone was kind to each other because we had a few, I think we had a total of 400 some like interactions between people, a lot of connections. And I'm looking forward to hearing if anything pans out into you know, something more than that. See if a true love connection was made. Huh? Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. I want to jump into your website. I was looking yeah. at it yesterday and I noticed that the subtitle says comedian, writer, and disabled antihero. Yeah. Why antihero? That's a good question. I get asked that a lot these days. I, a disability, as I was growing up, was always seen as one of two things. It was either this sad sob story or it was what we now call inspiration porn, where you have this motivational speaker, gets them on a stage and essentially like, my life is tough and I did this so you can do anything. And I wanted to be very not that as much as people try to push me into that role because it's just so easy to go, you know, okay, you're not a sob story, so you must be inspirational. And I really resonate with that anti-hero from Marvel, Deadpool. I just love his sense of humor. And I, I don't love the gen the generic. I wasn't a big superhero person growing up because it was just like these people are that are just good all the time. And to me it was a little bit boring. But I like the disabled anti-hero or the anti-hero moniker because it tells people that, hey, this is not your usual disability sort of media that you might expect. I love this term inspiration porn because I think social media is rife with these kind of stories. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, do you not look at your own story and say, okay, this is extraordinary or at least extraordinary as opposed to extraordinary? Yeah. I think more so lately, I'm starting to see that as I've talked to friends who have disabilities and friends who don't have disabilities and just kind of ask them for their view on my life. And I've, I've asked them this one particular question, which is, is dating harder for people with disabilities? And they've all resoundingly said yes. And I'm like, oh, I never, I never thought it was. I just thought I wasn't doing the right things or I wasn't working hard enough at it. But now that I'm like, okay, yeah, these things are difficult. And some of the things I've achieved are not often done by people with disabilities because of all the challenges. I, I do see that there is some extraordinary parts of that. I also recognize how privileged I have been in many other areas of my life, which have allowed me to sort of focus on the few things I really wanted to achieve and move towards them. I want to drill down on this point a little bit about relationships. Yeah. 
because I feel like that was a little, that was an intro into your public life was you started by talking about relationships and intimacy. I mean, you're a smart guy, right? You went to Ivy league schools, you have a lot to offer and yet you were struggling with intimacy and dating. Did it not cross your mind that your neuromuscular disorder was playing a role in this? I mean, obviously it did. I, 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 the whole reason I hired a dating coach was because a girl that I was really into, I thought she was like the one I thought we we're going to get married. I finally worked up the courage to talk to her. And she said, I don't see myself dating somebody with a disability or with a, who uses a wheelchair was the term she used. And of course I thought, well, does this mean every girl is going to think uh, I, I'm, we're talking very, very heteronormatively. I'm into women, so that was the thought that went through my mind: is is everyone going to think that? And so that's why I hired the dating coach was to try to prove that wrong. There's so many questions that come from this. The sure. first one is: Were you crushed? I mean, I could imagine you feeling this closeness to this person and having them say that to you. That would yeah. crush me personally. I imagine. Yeah, I was, I think I had two emotions at that time. One was gratitude, strangely, because I, I I just knew, right? I was like, okay, there's nothing I can do here. And I appreciated the honesty, frankly. Like when I tell that story, people, I think, think of that person, they kind of demonize that person. But I thought I saw that as a gift. I was like, wow, this is really clear. And I know there's nowhere to go from here with this person. So I might as well try something else. Uh, And then, yeah, I was also very sad and downtrodden and wondering, you know, is this going to be true for everyone? But I think I, I already had those thoughts through my life because I, I, that was the first person I'd ever asked out and I'd never, no girl, I, one girl had shown some interest in me in eighth grade, but I, I wasn't interested in her. So nothing, nothing came of it, but yeah. So you put yourself out there, (laughs) this girl in a sense, does you the favor of saying, look, you being in a wheelchair is an issue for me. Why did you think a dating coach would be able to manage and help you with that issue? I mean, that's kind of a special issue. Yeah. I thought a dating coach could help me because I literally tried everything else, right? I, when I was younger and like first time people started coupling up in, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade, my best friend at the time no longer was sitting with me at lunch. He was sitting with his girlfriend, which I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. Like I'm interested in girls. I'd like a girlfriend, but I had no idea how to do that. And I just assumed, well, no one's interested in me. So I guess that's not going to work. And I can't do all the things the other guys do that make them interesting to the girls. I can't lift, you know, I can't like run super fast. I can't do all these heavy weights and all these things. So I was like, all right, I'm going to focus on being smart because that's what I was good at. I was really good at school. Like maybe that'll be interesting to a girl. She'll like me because I'm, maybe I'm not the strongest, but I'll be the smartest. And of course I, I, I pursued that strategy I did really well in school. I was ranked second in my high school class of, I think, 700 kids. And 
I, I, like you said, I went to an Ivy League university, got two degrees, ended up working at Microsoft, right? Like this really sought after job and was doing pretty well financially, but still there was no interest from women. And so I was like, what else, what else do I have to do? And I'd read up on a lot of pickup theory that's kind of prevalent in the online space and tried a bunch of that stuff too. Like they're like, you just have to go up and talk to girls. And I did that and nothing ever materialized beyond a conversation. So I was, I was just at wit's end. I was like, all right, I guess, I guess this is something that is beyond my ability to learn. And I need someone to show me the way. Cause I've tried every other way to learn and get better, but nothing seems to be working. So it seems like you grew up telling yourself this story that the physical challenges were going to hamper you in relationships. So you Mm. were going to develop an intellectualism. You were going to become the smartest guy in the room. Right. You found out that this didn't get you where you wanted to be. You started dating coaching. I assume that you found some success. Looking back, those stories you told yourself about the physical challenges, were they correct? Was that what was keeping you from intimacy or were there other things? I think that was part of it. Cause I think it's, I think it's important to recognize that dating with a disability is more difficult uh, than not. And not, not to say that as a way to discourage people, but I think it's a way to reconcile with the results that you get. Like if you put in, X amount of effort and you don't see as much results as your friends who are able-bodied who put in the same amount of effort, uh, it can be rather discouraging. So I think it's important to recognize that it is harder and that it will take more effort. So as far as what helped me back, so that was part of it, the physical disabilities. And I think the other was not being, not trying. I just didn't try at all. I didn't communicate my interest in a very clear manner. Like I would try to talk to girls or like, you know, hopefully spend more time with them, like on group projects or kind of just do really awkward things instead of just being clear and saying, Hey, I'm interested in you. Are you interested in being comfortable with getting that? No. Like so much in life. It's amazing how much we protect ourselves from the no to such an extent that we never even put ourselves out there. Were there people in your life who said, oh, simple, just find another disabled person? Yeah, I heard that at at various points. And it's not that I'm opposed, but it just felt a little reductive to, oh, like you're only going to be with, or you would only be desirable to people with other people with disabilities. So going to a dating coach is one thing. Another Mm -hmm. is to go from student to master. Talk to us a little bit about how you went from someone who is using those services Mm -hmm. to someone who eventually started providing services as a dating coach. Yeah. So I was actually very ashamed of even considering a dating coach. I was ashamed of even reading pickup material because for one, it's very, it's rather sleazy. And not very, it's not very, it doesn't necessarily put women in the best light. Let's let's say that. And then the other is there's this societal expectation that you are supposed to just naturally 
know how to interact with people that you're interested in, or you're just supposed to have that sort of natural confidence. And that's what you need, right? If you're doing things in a methodical way, it takes away from that specialness of it. So I felt very ashamed. I was like, ah, oh, like even if I do get to intimacy with this, I'm going to feel uncomfortable sharing that I've had to have help in this regard. The reason I decided to, I didn't decide to be a dating coach at first. I just decided to share, like you said, that was my first sort of outlet with my public life was to share that I have hired a dating coach because I was so tired of being ashamed of it. I'd read Brene Brown's, one of her books, or maybe her TED talk on how the best way to get rid of shame is to put light on it. And I thought, okay, that makes sense to me. I'm just going to share that this is what I've been through. Here's why I did it. Here's what I've experienced. And that way I can just be like, okay, like if, if anyone comes across me and they do a quick Google search online, they're going to know that this is part of my life and they can ask me about it. But if they're like, yeah, I don't want to be with someone that's hired a dating coach, they can easily self-select out. You mentioned that this was the beginning of your public life. I know you were part of a YouTube video that eventually went viral and got lots and lots of views. Mm -hmm. I want to transition to a talk about your work in comedy. I know at one point that as opposed to feeling jubilant, you started to feel depressed about the, everything that was going on. What was going on there and how did that lead you towards comedy? Yeah, so that was some crazy attention directed towards me in that video. Like it went YouTube trending viral, right? Like probably the, uh, I mean, the, the, one of the most viral things that can happen and that there was just so much activity directed towards my website, my Instagram, like people are just reaching out, you know, for months, years after that point, because that video is just so popular. And I just went into it thinking, oh, this is just going to get some small amount of views and nothing really will come from this. And it's just a cool thing to do. And I'll continue on my dating coach journey. But it really changed things up for me because I, one, I was like, okay, I'm never going to achieve, not never, it's very unlikely that I'll achieve that level of sort of validation again in what I'm doing. Because this was a YouTube channel that had millions of millions of followers and I, I did, certainly did not. And also a lot of people started reaching out to me for help that I wasn't sure that I could really help because I, there are people with various disabilities, various situations. And I just felt kind of at a loss. I felt like I had billed myself as this dating coach when in reality, I was just kind of sharing what I had learned. And I was like, yeah, if this helps you out, cool. Uh, and I took on a few clients here and there and helped them out. But I wasn't necessarily, I felt like what people were expecting of me did not match what I was capable of or necessarily interested in. You know, a lot of people reached out to me that didn't necessarily have the best social skills. And I realized that's not necessarily where I want to spend the bulk of my time because it's very draining for me, like emotionally and physically. And also, going out and doing things with people in person is very, very taxing for me because of my physical disability. 
So I just felt kind of trapped. I was like, well, like, am I a dating coach? Like, you know, people think I'm like this great person, but I've only helped maybe like 20 or 25 people. You know, I don't have a system to turn all that attention into profit. Like my business was, it was, it's, it was very, it was very fledgling business. It was basically just me putting up blog posts, trying to get traffic there. And I had people that could sign up for coaching calls, like one-off coaching calls. I didn't have a program and I, I didn't know if I wanted to have a program. I just, I literally just started this because I was like, all right, I've done basically everything else I wanted to do. People seem to enjoy this content. I seem to get a lot of interesting, or I seem to get a lot of attention here. So yeah, people saw me as this person. I didn't know if I was that person. I don't know if I wanted to be that person. I started the dating coaching thinking it would be interesting for, it would be an interesting talking point. I didn't necessarily think it would be a full-fledged business. And then now there's suddenly millions of people around the world who think I'm this professional dating coach, right? So I just had a lot of disillusionment with the whole process and I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I know I knew I really liked public speaking because it was attention directed towards me and I have a very soft voice and it gives, it amplifies my voice. And I like being able to play with uh, the audience's emotions and sort of plan out the things that I would say. And the things I enjoyed most about public speaking were the jokes. I would create entire public speeches based on the few little jokes I wanted to say. So I was like, why don't I just do that in and of itself? And then I don't have to create this other speech. And I started finding open mics and I just found that to be a great place to work through a lot of the difficult emotions I was going through, not just with the dating coaching, but also with my physical disability. Because there was also this, this there was also this disconnect because I was saying, hey, I'm this great dating coach and you should come to me for services. But it wasn't like I had necessarily found some great love of my life or anything. And it, it wasn't the case that I had solved. I felt like I had fully solved that problem that I originally got out to solve. So yeah, that's what drew me to comedy because the pressure felt a lot less. You know, I think people think of comedy as, oh my God, I have to make people laugh. I see it as like, oh, thank God, all I have to do is make people laugh. I don't have to solve their dating life. I don't have to do all these other things. All I can do is just make them laugh. And that I feel like I can do well. And in some ways, comedy seems consistent with that goal, which you summed up with the Brene Brown quote about shining light on vulnerability. You yeah. did that by talking about your physical challenges in dating, right. but you could also do that with comedy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was what drew me down the whole path was I don't think I had that thing in me, which was like, I really want to help people with their dating life. Cause I was like, I got enough shit to deal with on my own. I don't know that I can take on the world's dating life, right. Or all the people with disabilities dating life. Like that's, that's a big, that's a big ask, but I can just be, I know I can do vulnerability well. And I know I enjoy that. And I know when I go up and tell jokes, I know that at least I'm having a good time. And if other people have a good time, that's gravy on top but it makes it more sustainable for me to do. Whereas with dating coaching, at times it can feel rather draining. 
So you start doing open mics. Mm -hmm. One of the first things people notice about you is that you are in a wheelchair. Did the wheelchair become a prop for your comedy? And how did you feel about that? Yeah, it, it, I think it's natural for comedians with disabilities to talk about their disability. And what I loved was that it was on my terms. So I could not talk about it for a little while and build up the tension in the room because everyone is wondering, they're like, when is he going to address it? When is he going to address it? And then get that bigger laugh at the end, kind of, because I, I if I could say something at the end of like, oh, like, I know you've been thinking this the whole time, that just naturally results in that big laughter because people are like, oh, thank God, like he finally addressed it. But yeah, of course, it's going to be something I work through. And I like that it doesn't have to be the only thing I talk about. Like a lot of my comedy ended up being just out of, it started with disability, but it ended up being about like family or dating or whatever it was. I find that really ironic that that tension that's always probably in the room when you're meeting new people is, hey, I'm a guy in a wheelchair, actually became fodder for the comedic act, that you could yeah. play with that tension, you could anticipate it and build it up. Whereas I imagine in real life, it's really flipping annoying. Yeah, I think it can be annoying at times. I think, honestly, I don't feel it so much or experience it as much as other people with disabilities. Cause one I've, I've, I've become so I've done so much practice with my dating coach and on my own of just immediately addressing it when I meet people that it's no longer something I necessarily think about because I, I live with a disability, right? So like when I meet somebody new, I don't necessarily see myself, see myself from their eyes. I see them from my eyes. So I, I'm not, I don't live my life thinking like I have a disability, I have a disability, I have a disability. Like I just, you grow accustomed to it. So I've done a lot of that work and gotten a lot of people very comfortable with it. And I know I have that tool if I really need to, like if I detect someone's being a little odd, but also if someone's being a bit odd, I already kind of know that I'm probably not going to connect with them super well because like I'm maybe the first person there meeting with the disability or like, they're just kind of weird about it. And the other thing is I, maybe aside from my comedy, I present as a very intelligent kind of proper speaking person. So I think that automatically people tell me that when they meet me, they automatic, they immediately know that I'm very smart. And I don't know if that comes across to everyone. I don't want to prop up my ego, just claiming that, but I think I've heard that it, by several people. So I think that plays to my favor where I get the sort of Stephen Hawking effect of like, okay, this guy's disabled, but he's freaking smart. Up to this point, we've talked about growing up with your physical challenges as well as being a dating coach and becoming a comedian. None of this really touches at all on your personal finance journey and your discovering financial independence. We've talked about this before on this podcast, but I think it's worth retelling the story of how you were introduced to the financial independence movement. Yeah, sure. Your, your listeners are probably like, what the hell does this have to do with fire <laughs> at this point? So I discovered it in a few ways. One, I was raised by 
uh, immigrant parents who came here from Pakistan and they grew up in pretty, pretty, I don't, I don't know how to like level it, but pretty, they, they grew up in poverty. Neither of both of their fathers passed away when they were young. Uh, they were raised by single mothers in Pakistan where women did not have a lot of opportunities back, back then, certainly. And they came here as immigrants and they had me and disability in Pakistan is pretty much a curse. You don't have a lot of great prospects, at least around the time I was born, uh, which was just a year before the ADA. Like even at the time I was born in the U.S., disability was not very, it was very, people were put into these like dilapidated homes and all that, even in the U.S., far back as the, as the 80s, I think. Yeah, so they, they were always very frugal. So long story short, they were always very frugal. They came here and they didn't have a lot to their name. Always raised me with very frugal values and said, you know what, you're going to have to, you're going to have to work extra hard because you have this disability. You have to provide, you have to find other means to provide for yourself because you can't just go, you know, get a random job at like a fast food restaurant or something to make ends meet. That's just not going to be in your future. So you have to be, you have to study extra hard to make sure that you can support yourself. And so they raised me with that value of like, you're going to have to earn a lot and don't spend frivolously. Don't spend on things you don't need. So that was always kind of my philosophy. And then, but they, they don't really believe in investing. Uh, I mean, they do believe in investing more so in business and real estate, but not in the market. I think because they joined some sort of like co-op type thing in the religious community when we were young that invested in the market and they lost much money and they just have been kind of weary of it ever since. So that was, that was what I knew going into my career. Like I, I always knew that the reason I wanted to go to college, the reason I wanted to get two degrees in four years was because I wanted to set myself up to get a good paying job and secure my financial future. That was always the goal. It was never like people are like, oh, I went to this college because like I love the town. And like I, you know, it was like it felt really good. It felt I felt a great vibe on campus. I was like, nope, this is the best education I can get for the for the money. I actually didn't really like Philadelphia, but I grinded through it for four years because I that program was just very unique. It was a dual degree program for engineering and business. And I was like, okay, if I do this, it's really going to set me apart and give me a unique advantage for, I mean, the rest of my life. And I don't want to do school again. I don't want to spend money on grad school. So let me do the best I can in these four years. And it worked. Like I got internships at big tech companies and all that. I think the generation piece or the saving piece was really good and like working to get a good job. And I, I signed up for the 401k, invested in some like target date fund when it, which was available to me for like my target retirement date. And I think the expense ratio was like 0.55 or something. And the underlying funds had some pretty exorbitant expense ratios. And then I was just at somebody's, I was at somebody's house for dinner. This woman came through the door and I was just kind of blown away by her. I was just kind of struck by her. And we started chatting and she was much older than I. And she asked me like, do you do any? And we started chatting about what I do for work and all that. And she asked, what do you, you know, do you do any investing? 
And I was like, no, like, why would I invest? Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to be the CEO of Microsoft, right? I have no, <laughs> no reason to invest in anything. I'm just going to keep making more and more money. And we exchanged numbers. And the first thing I messaged her about was, I, call, I was like, hey, it was nice to meet you. Like her name, the day trader. Like I, I joked with her that she was the day trader. And I think she took that kind of, because she was, she was deep into the like, not, I don't know about the fire community, but definitely investing for retirement. And we ended up dating and she kind of forced me to read some books about retirement investing and watch some videos. And that's how I, that's how I got, that's how I learned about investing in the market. In the first half of the show, Amin and I talk about him becoming the dating coach on wheels. After the break, we discuss financial independence. But first, you know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Wish you were in early on some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. Our crowd investors were, and now you can join them in what's next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Nike, Intel, Microsoft, and Oracle. Right now, you can join our crowd's investment in Beyond XR, a platform that's enabling the world's leading brands to attract customers with the future of virtual shopping journeys. Beyond XR's 3D technology is transforming the way brands do business in the $4 trillion e-commerce market. You can get in early on Beyond XR and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com slash EAI. The Our Crowd account is free. Just go to ourcrowd.com slash EAI. So this was your entry into the financial independence community. Yeah. I'm interested to talk to you about your original thoughts. So you describe in your early childhood, a very open relationship with your parents where they said, mm -hmm. okay, you have this physical disability, right? You need to get your ducks in order early, right? You've got to build the skill set. You've got to be able to get a high paying job. You yeah. really have to support yourself. 
How did it feel to hear about people in financial independence who were very anti-W-2 employment, right? There's this really pushback against these great jobs like engineering, mm -hmm. et cetera. A lot of people who are upset with their jobs, did you feel like your personal history gave you insight that maybe a lot of these people didn't have? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I haven't seen that much of that. I, my, my view of the fire uh, community is just like whatever way works, right? There's, there's some people that are extremely frugal and that's how they get to fire. Like they don't, they have a maybe moderate paying job, but they just really save a lot. And there's other people who have really well-paying jobs and they want, there's like fat fire, right? Like they want to live, they want to live a more generous lifestyle. So I've always seen it as whatever works for you. And the people, whenever people are adamant about one way or the other, I always just go back to my understanding of the movement, which is that it's based on your values, right? It's, it's, it's entirely personalized and customized to each person within the movement. So for some person to say you should or shouldn't do something, it, it doesn't really even make sense. Did you feel as you entered this community that there were a lot of people like you? We don't really talk about disability a lot in the financial independence community. I don't think there's a lot of people like me. I haven't come across many. There is a Facebook group for people with chronic illnesses that I've checked out a little bit, but it's very it's rather small. And interestingly, there's a the Choose FI podcast has a Facebook group that they sponsor called for, for parents of children with disabilities, which I feel like is a kind of remnant of some ableism of like, oh, you could only be a child that has a disability. And you, could, you can't be someone that would want to take care of yourself in that way. So while I do feel like I'm not, I don't have a lot of similarity to other people in the community in that regard, I've seen a few accounts of like, I think there's one I've seen, there's Disabled Girl on Fire, on Instagram, who, who talks about it a little bit. Uh, I have seen a lot of questions that I also think about, like people think a lot about healthcare once they leave their job. People think a lot about long-term care insurance. People think a lot about what happens if I get injured and how am I going to pay for this and all that. So I think the difference is that I'm actively dealing with that. Whereas for most people, it's just like this fear that they hope never materializes. Let's talk a little bit about ableism and financial independence. There are fringe parts, what I maybe would call fringe parts of the movement, or maybe more extreme parts of the movement, which are very big on things like, oh, you shouldn't own a car. You should ride your bike everywhere, right? Yeah. Or you should walk everywhere. Or right. if I need work done around my house, I should just build that deck myself. Right. Have you felt like there is some ableism in this community? I don't think it's intentional, but yeah, I mean, I, at times I do wonder, I'm like, do I relate to these people that want to live in like, uh, you know, like hole in the walls, want to travel all around the world all the time and like build all their stuff themselves? Am I, am I sort of looking in the wrong community for connection? But I, I think it's just that they don't have, uh, that's just their worldview, right? They don't have... They're not, there are not a lot of people with disabilities talking about fire and or financial stuff in general because it's very difficult. And the the way the state programs work is they they kind of keep you in poverty, 
Like if you want, essentially you have to choose between healthcare or poverty at certain levels. So we've talked about dating from a disability standpoint, but now we're discussing financial independence. You have run a number of events for virtual speed dating. How is dating different for people in the financial independence community? Sure. So the quick backstory to that is I started by just hosting game nights in this in the singles in pursuit of financial independence Facebook group. And then some people met up through that. Like one, one couple met each other through one of those events I hosted. And that was really cool. So I was like, all right, maybe we can make this happen more. Also, it's a little bit awkward, I think, to, to ask somebody like, hey, can we talk privately for a few minutes on one of those game nights? So I was like, well, maybe people will just want to pay a little bit to not have to go through that discomfort and they'll just get a couple minutes with each person and then you can connect or not connect. And it's just, it's only three minutes, right? It's not a big, it's not a big investment on each person's part, but I think dating is different for people in the fire community because we're also cognizant of our finances. And and we know that finances are one of the biggest points of friction in relationships. So not only are we looking for alignment on, you know, attraction, interests, maybe life stage, we're also looking for alignment on finances. And even within FIRE, there's a lot of different options, right? So I think it's it's just challenging. There's so often in that singles in pursuit of financial independence Facebook group, there's often threads of like, hey, I met this really great person and we connect on all these levels, but they seem to have a bunch of debt and they're not doing anything about it. Or they have like a couple of cars and like, or they have this really expensive other hobby or whatever. And like, it's, it's tough because we, we do want to connect. We want that closeness. We want that intimacy. We want where like all these other people are, right? Like these, these couples that can stack tax benefits. And, you know, the, the common joke is we see this meme all the time in the group too of, can, can we be in love or does somebody want to be in love so we can split rent, right? And that I think is a big draw for people. We see the benefit of combining finances with someone, but we're also so scared to do that because we know it's kind of like, it's like leverage essentially, right? Like leverage basically amplifies your gains and your losses and your partner, as I'm sure you know, right? Doc is, can is the is the one of the biggest determinants of your financial life. So we're very cautious in who we choose, I think. So I mean these are strange times as we know. We are hopefully on the cusp of coming out of this COVID pandemic. There was a recession that is slow to recover. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the different communities you're involved in and how you feel like this pandemic has affected them. I can think of several, you know, there's the disability community, there's the financial and the community financial independence community, there is the comedian community who who cannot do live events the way they could before. Tell me how you think this pandemic is affecting your communities. That's a great question because as a, as a quick sidebar, the re- when I felt that great sense of depression, I found this talk by this uh, UK-based researcher named Johan Hari. And it, I think the title of his talk was why 
I, I forget what it was about, but something about depression and anxiety. And his, his basic premise was that medication is not necessarily the antidote to depression and anxiety. It's community. It's feeling like you're part of something, uh, part of a community, essentially. And so I really took that to heart and started building up my own communities. I built up my own open mic. I started having friends over for game nights pretty much every week, just planning things, right? I was just like, I was always the planner. I was like, I need to, I, I need community. It's not, I don't see any that are available to me. So I'm just going to create my own. So yeah, the comedian community has been really impacted because comedy tends to draw people with mental health challenges just because it's, it, it just, it's, it's a great release for that sort of thing. And sometimes people mistake it for actively working on their mental health issues. So I think that community has been impacted a lot where people are just really distraught that they can't go out and do this thing that they love, right? They, there's virtual comedy, but it's just not the same. The, what other community? The, the, the disability community, I think is kind of feeling a little, feeling a little hubris or like kind of like, all right, like we told employers for the longest time that let us work from home, like we can do the same amount of work. We just don't have to be at the office. And they're like, nope, you can't do that. But now everyone's working from home. So I think the disability community has definitely been impacted by the pandemic, of course, because of the medical concerns we have. But I think there is some hope that once things return to maybe a sense of normalcy, that there will be more acceptance for work from home for people who, because transportation is one of the biggest challenges for people with disabilities. I was fortunate enough in the past to have a car, be able to drive it, but that's not the case anymore. And I feel very restricted in my mobility. Uh, and that's definitely challenging. As far as the fire community, I mean, people that love to travel are obviously like hurting because they, they're, they're locked down. They can't travel as much. But in another way, I never was really involved in the fire community before the pandemic. I actually found it around April when I was just like, oh my God, I need a place to talk to people about things or I need a place to feel that sense of community. And then I started that game night and it's just, it's been going strong since I think late May or June. And yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that I think now I have a lot of friends all over the world that I may be able to meet up with at some point in the future, but we'll see how that pans out. So, I mean, sum it up for us. There is, I'm sure, someone right now, a 15-year-old with Charcot-Marie-Tooth or some other disability mm -hmm. that is forcing them to change the way they do things physically. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll soon need a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. What can you tell them about your story, about the trials and travails that you've gone through? What would you tell your own self yeah. all those years back about who you'd become today? I'd say I keep on the same track because I'm I'm very glad that I focused on my education and focused on my finances because it is much easier to, I think it is much easier to date when you have your financial life in order than when you don't. I think it just creates a lot more stress. So I would say, you know, keep on like, yeah, focus on what you do well, find your strengths and build those up and yeah, I mean, maybe live a little bit more in the moment because there's no guarantee 
for tomorrow, like maybe try a little bit if you want to get towards that intimacy, find ways to just clearly state your intentions and just know that, you know, like my, like my coach told me, there might be 95 or 99 out of 100 people that will turn you down just because of your disability, just because of how you physically present. And knowing that the choice is up to you. Are you going to not try because you're scared of hearing those no's? Or are you going to get through those 99 no's to get to that one yes? The choice is yours. And I mean, if people are wondering what's going on next in your life or how they can contact you, how can they reach you on the internet? And tell us a little bit about what's coming up in your future. Sure. So I've got some, I'm going to be doing more of those fire singles events. So if you're interested in those, the best best place to go for those is firesinglesclub.com. And that'll give you all the information, the next event. You can find me online by searching for dating coach on wheels. And I think what's next is I'm going to keep doing singles events in the fire community. I'm going to keep pursuing some dating coaching stuff, just sharing my journey, my story, and hopefully keep doing some comedy. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Amin Lakani. That's a wrap. Thanks so much, Doc. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. This is the off the cuff part of the show where I give some of my opinions. This is not for thought. I haven't written it down. I am just telling you how I think about it at the moment. Before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to mention that if you are enjoying the conversations we're having here on the Earn and Invest podcast Monday and Thursday, don't forget to check out our Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. Over there, you can find basically conversations very similar to that which we have here on the podcast, but with you, the community. That's right. Everyone gets involved. We have a lot of fun there. And lately, I've been doing a number of Facebook Lives as well as doing some Instagram Lives, too, if you follow on Instagram at Earn and Invest. And it's just a good chance to talk directly with you all, the community, about what's going on. All right. On to this episode Amin Lakani has a physical disability, and that has affected both his dating life and his financial life. I've never had a physical disability, but I've certainly had a mental one. When I was six or seven years old, it started to become clear that I wasn't learning like everyone else. I remember specifically being in class and all the kids, maybe it was preschool or kindergarten, were learning how to tie the shoes before we went out for recess. And everyone would get ready and I would be sitting there with a lace in each hand and I just couldn't remember how to tie them together. In fact, it got so bad that at some point I had to be assigned another student to tie my shoes for me before we could go out. My family and my teachers realized something was wrong and they sent me for something called neuropsychologic testing, which diagnosed me with a learning disability. I had a huge amount of trouble reading In fact, I had trouble placing the letters in the correct order. They would dance on the page. And I used to get so confused. My mom can remember me sitting in front of a textbook sweating as I was trying to put the sentences together. And I would complain to her that I could do it the day before, 
but everything had changed. Now, I was lucky. I was in a pretty good school system, and they immediately assigned two tutors to me. In fact, I was taken out of class regularly to go to these tutors. When I went back to class, at the time, I didn't know this, but they didn't want to stress me out, so they would give me coloring books. So while the rest of my peers were on their beginning readers, when they were getting into groups to learn how to read, I was sitting alone at my desk coloring in coloring books, trying to keep within the lines. My mom realized that I would need more help. And eventually we hired an external tutor that I also went to once a week, all the way up into middle school. And in some ways, I overcame my learning disability. I learned how to read and do things maybe slightly differently than my peers, but effectively. Did it go away completely? No. In fact, I think I carried a chip on my shoulder for the rest of my schooling career based on this idea that I wasn't good with spatial relationships. My learning disability had to do with spatial relationships. And I told myself this story that it was just something I wasn't good at, which means I was great at doing things like chemistry and biology, but physics lab, physics lab was hard for me because it was all about spatial relationships. This belief carried into medical school. I remember when I went through my radiology and even general surgery rotations, I always kind of told myself these fields aren't for me because they're too spatially oriented, which looking back now, I realize isn't true. To become a physician, I really did have to understand biology and anatomy, and I had to understand spatial relationships very well. But this is one of those stories that I told myself throughout life. Amin Lakani, when he talks about the role disabled people play in social media, he mentioned the term inspiration porn. And it made me laugh because it's a funny term, but I totally get it. This idea that as a disabled person, when he gets on social media, that's what people are looking for. They're looking for inspiration. They're looking to see a person who's had struggles, but eventually overcomes them. And I can get why that would be annoying. Certainly, you want to be known for more than just what isn't functioning the way it functions in everyone else. On the other hand, I have to tell you, Amin is inspiring. And his story is inspiring. The way he became a dating coach on wheels defies what we believe most people are capable of. Even in a sense, the way I overcame my learning disability defies some of what we come to expect as normal. So I think we have to be careful, but I also do think it's worthwhile celebrating these trials and tribulations, especially when it comes to that mindset. Because you see, for me, the learning disability I had really changed my mindset. It told me that I couldn't do things. I couldn't be a general surgeon or a radiologist. I couldn't do well in my physics lab. And I think for Amin, maybe his disability made him feel like he couldn't be successful at dating. And it was only after he got a dating coach himself did he realize that, yes, it is certainly harder. There's no question about it. But also there was a mindset piece which he had to get over. So that's where I want to meet you today. All of you listening to the Earn and Invest podcast, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you have physical or mental disabilities. I don't know if you were born to a poor family or in a third world country 
or what you have facing you. And I don't even want to say that I know anything about solving that. But what I can say is for whatever bit of that is that mental piece, that mindset piece, there are amazing people out there who've utilized mindset to at least move forward and get closer to their goals. And I think that's all we can ask for. How do we get closer to our goals given what we have, given our life circumstances, which sometimes are not changeable? How can we develop the best mindset to go where we want to go? After all, that's all we can really ask for, isn't it? So, how'd it feel? Did, did you feel good. like we had a good productive conversation? <laughs> yeah, I guess you're you're uh, you're a very intense interviewer. It's very like pointed and direct and like straight. And I felt this way last time too, where I was like, oh man, like doctors like it's just like one after the other like he studies you i feel like you're like surgically incising <laughs> not in a bad way but just like i'm like it's just maybe it's that medical training or something i was like all right i'm gonna listen to a bunch of his podcasts and like get to know something about him so i can ask something about him but never <laughs> <laughs> i overwhelmed you <laughs> yeah. you weren't able to the reason yeah. why i do that actually is because I, I really do believe everyone has or at least the people who I try to get on this podcast are people who really have a, a, an amazing story to tell. So I try to surgically find those questions mm -hmm. that will get you to open up and tell like the cool parts of your story. And sometimes yeah. I'm more successful, sometimes I'm less successful, but that's kind of why I'm very directed because yeah. like, I feel like we have this limited amount of time Right. to get the most best awesome part of you and like that's what i want everyone to hear like i want everyone to hear like just the most amazing part of who you are so i'm very careful i think in trying to say okay how can i pick you know because if you think about it in any podcast it's going to be your voice that's 95 to 97 percent of what's mm -hmm. recorded mm -hmm. so i've got about two two to three percent of the time yeah to say something that draws out in you your best. And so I think, yeah, I'm very kind of intense about some of it because I want to make sure that I, I ask the right questions so that you can kind of fly, so to speak. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's, it's very complimentary. And I, it's been nice to listen to some other episodes and get little tidbits about you. Like I think you sprinkle them in, in the beginning with that intro and the afterwards too. And it's been, it's been nice to get to know you a little more through that. Yeah, so in got, fact, that, got a, go ahead. Uh, go ahead and you finish, and I'll go. It's, you, you've got like a listener, right? Like, um, like I didn't, I didn't, I had not heard the podcast before, and you were nice enough to let me pitch the the singles event last time, and um, and then you were you grilled me, so I was like, all right, I got to be better prepared next time. <laughs> no, you were <laughs> you were prepared well last time. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know that's one thing that I've worked on over the last year specifically is is adding more me without taking away from the guests and the subjects. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do you add yourself in there? Yeah. Because ultimately people come back for the host. Right. Right. They usually, most people hear about a podcast because of one guest or another. Right. But if they're going to stay long-term, it's, it's going to be most likely the host. So like how to sure. add yourself in, but always do it quietly in the background. So you're kind of creating this long-term story but then allowing the people you have on to shine. And, and I think your story is 
people celebrate you for the things in your life that go wrong. What I enjoy about your story is everything you did because of it and not because it went wrong, went, went wrong. Right. So yeah. what I enjoy about your story is you said, Hey, I can't seem to put it together. I'm going to get a dating coach. Yeah. And, and to me, that takes a lot of balls to do that. Like for anyone that takes that a huge scary. amount of balls. And then to take those lessons you learned and package them and start helping other people, I think is cool. And then for you to, for you to do exactly that, say, well, I'm going to talk about my vulnerability here. I'm going to shine a light on it when it comes to my disability and then take it a step further and say, you know what, I'm going to do comedy, which is like the most vulnerable thing you can do. Right. You talk to comedian after comedian after comedian. I mean, it's, it's hard right? To get in front of a group of people and put yourself out there and bomb because almost everyone who does comedy bombs often. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. So that's, that's what I saw in your story that I thought was just so, so interesting. The financial independence stuff is more on the side, like that's cool. And that's on the side, but mm -hmm. more interesting to me is the dating events or the comedy or how you've decided what lens you've decided to look at your life in. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.